This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. We're in a series called uh, Your Kingdom Come, which comes from a prayer that Jesus prayed in Matthew chapter 6 when he is asked, Lord, would you teach us to pray? And he prays the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that we pray on ball fields after ba- uh, baseball games. We play after football games. We, we pray at civic events. We pray that prayer all the time. And often it goes unnoticed, and we neglect to understand a few things that are there. But the first thing that I, that jumps out to me, there are things in there that are that, that is just so hard. Like, do do you really want to pray, forgive me the way I forgive other people? Do you really? I mean, that's a hard prayer to pray. But in that prayer, Jesus prays a reality into existence that we often miss. And it's this, God, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The promise that we can live in a reality today that is as if heaven came to earth. That's the promise of eternal life. Eternal life is not that you die and you get to go live in heaven. Eternal life is that I give my life to Jesus and I live in heaven on earth today. That your kingdom come. Your will be done. And let it be right here in my life today as it is in heaven. That's why it was so important for Jesus. See, we, we define our relationship with Jesus in many different ways. Uh, some of us would say Jesus is a friend. Some of us would call Jesus Savior. Some of us would say that Jesus is a good man, a prophet, all of those sorts of things. But Jesus defined his relationship to us by calling himself our king. In Mark chapter 1, the very first thing that Jesus is ever going to say in the first gospel, the first recorded words of Jesus are, the kingdom has come, repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God has come. Believe the good news. The, the good news is that the kingdom of God is here, that you can live in it today. And so for the past few weeks, what I've been doing is I've been preaching through and sharing with you some realities that go along with living in the kingdom, some principles. And so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to wrap those up and put those in your notes, and then I'm going to tell you a story, and I'm going to show you how those apply to everyday life in a simple story when Jesus meets his best friend. Okay? Okay? Very, very very important. The first thing in your notes today is this, that the kingdom of God is a spiritual reality that we are invited to live in today. It's a spiritual reality. When Jesus is on trial before Pilate, okay, one of the things that is, is he's on trial because he claimed to be king. And, and, and Pilate asks him, are you a king? Do you have a kingdom? And Jesus' response is, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my followers would be overthrowing your followers, and I would take back the authority that I've given to you. It's a spiritual reality. It's a spiritual reality that we are invited to live in as we choose to follow Jesus 
today. The second thing that I want you to notice about the kingdom is that participation in the kingdom has more to do with our attitudes than it does our behaviors. It has more to do with our attitudes than it does our behaviors. This is very hard for many of us because we grew up, many of us, in a Christianity that defined a good Christian by we we don't smoke, we don't chew, and we don't hang out with girls that do, right? That's the way that we were taught to follow Jesus, all right? But, But in the early church, one of the greatest debates that they had was are we going to take these laws that have been implied and impressed upon those who are Jewish, are we going to then, on these new converts who are Gentiles, are we going to make them follow the same level of restrictions that have been placed before? Specifically when it comes to diet. And I want you to notice this in Romans 14, how the Apostle Paul addresses this tension. That the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's not a matter of behavior, the eating and drinking, but it is a matter of attitude. And here's why. And our our attitudes are reflections of our hearts. And here's the thing. When God works in us, God works in our hearts, and then it reflects in our attitudes. So God changes our hearts, and then it begins to change. Now, just as a caveat, just so you can understand that that there are some things that God won't do for you. That's awesome to know that there are some things that God actually releases to you for you to do for yourself, and it's required uh, discipline, all right, which is why we have a grand list of what we call spiritual disciplines. Here's the thing. If it's an area of discipline, it works the exact opposite way. We discipline ourselves on the outside, and it begins to change us on the inside. But when God works in our heart, it changes us from the inside, and it becomes something that flows out of us. The kingdom of God is about a reality that we live in where we say, God, change me. Let me become the person that you want. And when we do, it's not a matter of trying to regulate our behavior. We live with joy and peace because he's already purchased that for us. He's already bought it, and we're following him. We're being obedient. We're living in the life that he's called us to. That's kingdom living. See, the, there's other components that we need to understand to live in the kingdom. And this number three you notice today is that in the kingdom of God, Jesus owns everything. Which, which means that everything in your possession right now will one day pass to someone else. Your car, your, your home, your kids, your clothes, everything. Everything. Jesus owns everything. This is reflected in Psalm 24, verse 1, where the Bible says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. Now, just leave that up there for a second and look at this. The earth is, the the terminology that's being used here is actually kingdom language. It's the Lord's. 
It's the Lord's. A Lord was someone in a kingdom who had distributed and given a piece of property and respected and, and expected out of that person for you to execute authority over that property. This is recognizing Jesus as king. He owns everything. He owns everything. And I honestly think if we realize that, we would realize this, that number four, as king, Jesus has given generously to us all. He has given generously. Let's not even think about material possessions. Let's just think about what the Bible promised, that he has given generously in grace. That there's not a person in the room who has ever earned the favor of God, the forgiveness of God, the love of God. We haven't done that, but out of his grace, he has done, out of his mercy, he has done that. Do you realize there is nothing you can do that will make God love you anymore? And there's nothing you can do that will cause God to love you any less? I don't know about you, but that's blessed. That's blessed. And if God's generous, shouldn't we be generous too? Shouldn't we be? Shouldn't that become a reflection of the nature of God as we become more and more like him? Shouldn't we be generous? And I don't even mean money. I'm not just talking about giving financially. Shouldn't we also be the people who extend grace easily, knowing that grace has been extended to us? Shouldn't we also be the people who include others who seem like they're outside because we've been included when we were outside? We should be generous too. Because he's given us so much. But here's, here's a reality that comes with what he's given. That belonging to the kingdom comes with benefits and responsibilities. It comes with benefits and responsibilities. Oh, sure, there, there are great things that God gives us. As a part of the kingdom, there, there are benefits. Jesus paid for it on the cross. We get to live in it. It is a reality, and we are blessed because of it. But there is a responsibility that comes with that blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing. God has blessed you to bless through you. And far too often, we get blessed and sit back and go, aren't I special? What am I going to do with this? Well, what you should do is do something with it that blesses somebody else. There are benefits that come with this. And there's a responsibility. But do you remember that verse we just looked at that said the kingdom of God is not a matter of righteous or, or of eating and drinking? But I think that we could reinterpret it as, as this way. The kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness peace and joy. These are the benefits of the kingdom. That you can live with peace. Things don't have to be right and you can have peace. Things don't have to be right and you can have joy. Things don't have to be in perfect or order for you to be pursuing a right relationship with God. Because God has been 
so generous to us. And the generosity comes with a responsibility. And this is what I see. Number six in your notes, that every gift from the king comes with authority and responsibility. Probably the best illustration that I come up with is our kids. Man, I'm going to tell you what. When we had kids, I was so excited when our first little girl came out. I mean, it was fun. I was like, this is going to be awesome. And then I found out she pooped a whole lot. I mean, like the amount of poop that came out of that little kid was a lot more than I could have ever, ever, ever. And then they don't sleep. They stay up. They sleep during the day when you're trying to, like, it's just, it's so much responsibility because God has blessed us and given us authority in their lives, but that authority comes with responsibility. We have a platform. How many of y'all know you have a platform in your kid's life? You have the ability to make a difference in their life. But that platform of authority comes with responsibility. So what I want to do is I'm going to tell you a, a story. I'm actually going to read it out of Scripture. It comes out of Luke chapter 5. It's a story of Jesus meeting Peter. This is such a fresh perspective because Luke looks at this moment in a very different way than the other gospel writers do. And so I want you to look at this and just follow along as I read. And then what I'm going to do is just spend the rest of the time coming back and making observations that help you see how the kingdom of God plays out in everyday circumstances. Here we go. Beginning in verse 1, chapter 5 in Luke. One day as Jesus was preaching... On the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed into him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats on the water's edge. Two empty boats at the two empty boats at the water's edge. For the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. They were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, just Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push him out into the water. So he sat in the boat, and he taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. This time, their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter, pay attention, we know that Simon is going to get his name changed to Peter later on. It's this wonderful moment when Jesus recognizes something in here. But notice that something shifted as Luke is telling the story. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please Leave me, I'm such a sinful man. Now, he hasn't given his life to Jesus yet. He hasn't, cho- he hasn't made the decision to follow Jesus yet. Please leave me, I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as, they were, as, as were the others. His partners, James and John, and the sons of Zebedee were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, look at what he said. Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. As soon as they landed... They left everything and followed him. See, the thing that I want you to notice is that in this story, 
Peter saw a boat, but Jesus saw a platform. Peter saw a boat. Peter's occupation was a fisherman. He, he apparently was a pretty good fisherman because he owned several boats. He had partners. I don't know anybody that's got partners that's not doing real well in life. All right, so he was doing really well, had multiple fishing vessels that they were launching out on a regular basis to fish. He was enterprising. He understood his craft. But there he was on the shores, mending his nets when Jesus comes up. So I want you to get this. In the kingdom of God, when God gives you a platform, he wants to use it. He wants to use it. You, you might see it as a job. You might see it as a child. Uh, you might see it as a relationship or a friendship or BFF from high school. You might see it as a task that you've been assigned to do at work or a new responsibility that your boss has given you. You might see it as trials or pain or difficulty. You might see it as that, but God sees it as a platform. And you'll never know the power of your boat until you see it as a platform. Because Peter saw a boat, but Jesus saw a platform. Peter saw a boat, but Jesus saw a platform. You might be there today. You might be looking and saying, hey, it's just a job. I'm just a parent. I'm just a spouse. I'm just a neighbor. What's your boat? What's your boat? What has God given you? Because for every person in this room, there's something that God's given you right now. And when God gives you a platform, his intention is not just to bless you, but to bless through you, to use that platform for the furthering of his kingdom. So the real question is, will you let him use your boat? Will you let him use your boat? Think about when Peter was buying that boat. You know, Peter was probably stoked, right? Let's imagine it's boat number two. That's how I'm going to tell the story. It's my story today. I get to tell it how I want to tell it, okay? So it's the second boat. The business is growing. Peter is going to buy the second boat. We're growing. We get to buy, no, this is boat number two. I'm going to name it boat number two. All right, let's just, no creative names whatsoever, okay? I don't know what he would have named it. But when he was buying that boat, when he thought was, was a boat, what he thought was a boat was really a platform. You see, when God gave you that new job, it was a platform. When God gave you that kid, God was giving you a platform. When God gave you the opportunity to have that conversation with your neighbor when they found out that they had cancer, God was giving you a platform, and that platform is not about you. It's all about him. Because when God gives you a platform, 
He's giving you a platform that he wants to use. You see, here's the thing. Peter would have had this conversation with Jesus. Imagine it. The crowds are pushing in. Peter's had a hard night, and he's sitting there kind of taking care, mending his nets. And then Jesus comes up and goes, hey, hey, can I, can I borrow your boat for a moment? Can I borrow your boat? Do you know what he said? He said, yes. And as Peter said yes to Jesus, he unknowingly stepped into his destiny. As he said yes, in one moment of generosity, one moment of saying yes, one moment, of, it would have been so easy to say, I'm tired, I worked all night, we're getting ready to leave. I don't, you know what? You can do this another way. Go stand on the pier. But not, not for Peter. One moment of generosity unlocked his future potential. See, what some of y'all don't get is that God gave you that job so that you can have a platform at that job so that you can make a difference in the lives of the people that you work with. But you want to know something? Being mean, nasty, or real will shut down your influence in the kingdom of God. Will absolutely shut down your influence. And there are some of you that get so frustrated with somebody that doesn't do something your way, and what happens is you start to complain. You start to, instead of giving grace, instead of leveraging your influence, instead of using your platform, what happens is you actually negate your platform because you don't recognize the importance of that platform. So Jesus launches out into the shallow to teach the people, the people, the people have crowded around to hear him teach. I want you to see this. Peter, when he bought that boat, Peter thought that boat was to go fishing. But that boat wasn't to go fishing. That boat was for people. That boat was for people. That boat was to bless people. That boat was to create a platform so that Jesus could do something that Jesus couldn't do without that boat. When God blesses you with the platform, it's not about the platform, it's about the people. And when you misuse your platform, you neglect to understand its purpose, and that's to influence people. And that's where, when we get mean and we act out at work, we lose our platform. People who could respect you, who you could have influence in, all of a sudden start to distance themselves from you. See, God gave you your job for a platform. God gave you your children for a platform. God gave you your neighbor for a platform. God gave you that opportunity to lead the PTO as a platform. God gave you fill in the blank so that it could be a platform of influence to make a difference in the lives of people. Because here's what we believe about people. People are going to live forever. People are going to live for people are going to live forever. They're either going to live forever with Jesus 
or they're going to live forever apart from him. The kingdom of God is all about leveraging that influence so that more people come to know him. See, here's here's what I've seen, that everything that he's given you is a platform. Pain, platform. Some of the most influential people that I've ever seen walk through life were influential as they used a season of pain as a platform. Prosperity can be a platform, but everything that God gives you is a platform. So I've realized this, that if you realize that it's his and that it's for his purposes, there is no good gift that God will withhold from you. If you realize that it's his and it's for his purposes. See, here's the thing. So many times God has to withhold things for us because our hearts aren't ready for them. Because we'll get it and we'll go, oh, this is all about me. Look how good I am. No. God knows you can't hold that. You can't handle that. So God has to do something in you to prepare you. See, there's something that's interesting about this. Jesus preaches, and you know what? We don't know what he preached. (laughs) You ever think about that? Like, what what did he, I'm a preacher, I want to know what he preached about, okay? I want to know, did he talk about money? Did he talk about forgiving your friends? What did he talk about? The Bible doesn't talk about what he preached. The Gospel of Luke is one of the most detailed gospels in record that we have. Luke was a physician. He was detail-oriented. The Greek is very specific, and he doesn't see what Jesus said as being important. What he does see, and what the Bible does tell us, is what he did. The Bible tells us what he did. And here's why this is important. Because Jesus was a living embodiment of God's word. He was the word made flesh. And what was important in this story wasn't what he said, but what he did, which makes me realize this, that life isn't about what you say unless it's backed up by what you do. There are a lot of people who can talk the talk, but can't walk the walk. And life isn't about what you say unless it's backed up by what you do. So there's Peter on the shore. Jesus is done preaching. He's washing his nets, kind of stitching things together, preparing them. I want you to get this. For Peter, the night was over. The night was over. It was done. We tried everything. We didn't catch a fish. This isn't an amateur. He's a professional fisherman. He knows what he's doing. When he calls it a day, it's been a day. It's over with. It's time to quit. Some of you are there today. It's time to quit. I'm done with this marriage. There's nothing else I can do. I've tried everything. Some of you are there with your jobs. I've tried everything. I've tried everything. I've done everything I know how to do. But after 
Jesus finishes teaching, he does something that is audacious and crazy. He goes to the professional fisherman and says, I want you to try again. I want you to try again. This time I want you to do a little different. Instead of just launching out, I want you to go way out in the deep. Just way, I mean way out. Go out in the deep. See, here's what, I want you to see this today. When you feel like quitting, the king isn't done with you. When you, I, somebody needs to hear this today. When you feel like quitting, the king is not done with you. The king isn't done with you yet. See, Peter thought it was over with. Peter thought the story was done. Peter thought it was time to go home. But no, Jesus saw something else, and he asked him to do something. You might be ready to quit on your job, quit on your marriage, quit on a friend. You might be ready even to quit on Jesus. You think it's over. But it's not over until God says it's over. See, not only does Jesus ask Peter to try again, but he asked him to take the next step by going out into the deep. Do you realize how crazy that is? It's a professional fisherman who has fished all night long and caught nothing. And Jesus goes, hey, not, not only try, but way out. Way, 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 way out. This, this is truly faith at its apex. It hasn't worked. I've tried everything I know to do. I've said everything I know to say. I've given all I've got to give. God, it all feels hopeless. But God says, I want you to take that next step. And you go, okay, God, it hasn't worked. But I trust you. Everything else has felt like it's falling apart. But you tell me to take the next step. I'm going to. Because I want you to get this. What the king has for you will require you to take a next step of faith. Can I tell you this? For me personally, my greatest regrets are knowing that there were times in my life that God asked me to take the next step and I didn't. And there's some of you that look at me and say, Kevin, this, the, the success of Vortex in a town like Albemarle over the past six years, look at all that's happened. And that's true. I'm so, we, we've been so blessed. I'm so thankful. So many of you have been a part of that. But you don't know what I left on the table. You don't know. I want us to be a people who never leave anything on the table. When God says, take the next step, go out in the deep, we go, okay. Because here's the thing. For Peter, this is a moment where there is no point of reference. Everything he knows is thrown out the window. And living in the kingdom will lead you to places where you have no point of reference. 
It will lead you to places where there is no, no point where you go, it's been like this before. No, living in the kingdom will take you to places where you have no point of reference except faith in Jesus. That he will do what he said he would do. That he will take care of you. That he will deliver. That he will fulfill the promises that he has made. So Peter launches out into the deep. And he does so out of obedience. He returns to the water, not believing, but obeying. See, sometimes in your and my puny little mind, we are not able to figure out what God wants for us. But we just need to simply be obedient and do what he's asked. So he catches so much fish. You know the story. The, 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 the nets begin to tear. The same nets that just a few minutes ago he was mending and washing and taking care of. I, I noticed something here, and I want you to pay attention to this. Then when what has been starts breaking, when, when what has been starts breaking, it's because God is preparing you for what will be. Because God is about to do something ridiculous in the life of Peter. Peter comes into the shore. He realizes that not only is this a teacher, but this is God. He falls at his feet, repents. God, I'm not even worthy. I'm sinful. Leave me alone. And he looks at somebody that culture had rejected. And he says, you come with me from this point on, from this point on. Instead of fishing like that, you're going to fish for men. See, one moment of obedience changed Peter's purpose in life forever because he saw Jesus as king. He saw Jesus as king. He saw Jesus as the king that owns everything, as the king who can tell him to do whatever he wants him to do. His simple heart was to be obedient. His simple heart was to give and be generous. And when we get to that place that we live in the kingdom, God will transform your future into something you cannot imagine because you see it as both. God sees it as a platform. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.